Welcome to the City Reach Baptist Podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning. Um, I'm Pastor Jeremy. I'm the pastor at Cedar College. Uh, this week, I saw a poster uh, for this movie, Bumblebee, um, with the tagline, every hero has an origin story. Every hero has an origin story. So if you're not familiar, Bumblebee is a transformer. So he is a, a robot who turns into a car, turns into a robot, does heroic things. Um, and this movie is meant to tell the story of how he got started. It's his origin story. Um, all superheroes seem to have these kinds of origin stories. So you've got Spider-Man, um, Peter Parker got bitten by a radioactive spider, um, Batman, um, as a kid, Bruce Wayne loses his parents tragically, gets obsessed with bats, and he comes to be this hero. Um, origin stories, they're, they're actually really helpful because they help us to see a little bit of what's brought that hero to where they are, where they are now. What are their roots? What are their motivations? What has positioned them to be such a hero? And maybe the Bumblebee movie does that. But this text certainly does it for our hero. And we're looking at the origin story of Jesus, or at least a part of it. But why do we need to do that? Why do we need to look at Jesus' origin story? I think it's because sometimes we forget how much of a hero he is. And some of us struggle to recognize him as a hero at all. Because this story just seems so implausible. It's like a fairy tale. He's so remote, ancient, and or he's just another person. He's a good person, but he's not a superhero. He's no help to me now. And for some of us, the Christmas story, it just remains this cutesy story disconnected from the rest of Jesus' life and pretty disconnected from our lives too. But as we dig into Jesus' origin story, all that might change. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that it reveals so much to us. And Holy Spirit, as we look at this origin story of Jesus, I pray that you would change us through it. In Jesus' name, amen. So the tricky thing about an origin story for Jesus is knowing where to start because the Bible is pretty clear Jesus doesn't have a start. He is the origin of everything. Through him all things were made. Um, so we're going to look just at the origin of his time on earth. But even there, like if you're going back 2,020-odd years, to where he was born, you still need to flip back into the past because this origin story has echoes through time. And there were all these ancient prophecies of a coming hero, a saviour, an anointed king who was going to save his people, who was going to bless all peoples and who would reign forever. Um, and let me give you one of them. This is from Micah chapter 5, page 778, if you want to look at it. Now muster your troops, O daughter of troops. Siege is laid against us. We're in trouble. 
With a rod, they strike the judge of Israel on the cheek. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. Therefore he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. And then the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth, and he shall be their peace. Do you get that? God's people are in trouble, and they need a hero, because they're under attack, and this hero is going to come from Bethlehem. This little town just down the road from Jerusalem, Bethlehem, not an amazingly big place or anything, but it's significant because, and probably only for this, that this is where King David, Jerusalem's greatest ever king, was born. And over and over in the Old Testament again, God states that he's going to establish an heir of King David as a forever king, a good and just and right king. It says over and over, and I'll give you one of them, Isaiah 16 verse 5, then a throne will be established in steadfast love and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. This heir of David, this hero from Bethlehem is going to be an heir of David and he's going to be good and just and right. God is going to send a hero to save his people. And this king is going to be a descendant of David and this king is going to come and be born in Bethlehem. That's the hero that these people right now are hoping for. But our hero's parents live in Nazareth, other side of the country, miles from Bethlehem. Let's begin his origin story. Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. It's census time. Everyone has to be accounted for. And um, this all comes from the emperor, Caesar Augustus. He's one of the greatest rulers of the world ever. And this census is a way for him to get the measure of his empire and also a way for him to extract taxes from people. But not just that. This is a way for him to communicate to all the people that he is in control. You will be counted. He says it and they do it. They all went. Think about this. Back then, 2,000 odd years ago, to pull off a census like that across the whole Roman Empire to count everyone, that is pretty impressive, right? And they had no census website to rely on, which is probably really helpful for them, but it's impressive, right, to be able to pull that kind of thing off. Caesar, he gives the word from Rome, and then his local representatives, in this case, is Quirinius in Syria, and Syria was over that whole region that included Judea. He goes and makes it happen. Caesar, Augustus, is in control of the world, ordering people around just according to his whim. 
And this bit of the story is really helpful because Luke is giving us history. He's putting this right in a moment. We can pinpoint the place in time where this happened. So this origin story of Jesus, this is totally different to all the origin stories of Greek and Roman gods and heroes, fairy tales and fables, because this is history. He's naming people and places, and he's saying, you can check this out for yourself. This is real. This is not a fairy tale. So before we go any further, get that. Jesus is not a fairy tale. He's not a float in the pageant. He's not just some figure in a nativity scene or a Marvel character or anything like that. This idea that we get at Christmas of that's who he is. Jesus is a historical person. He's one of the most historically verifiable people in all of time. He's a real person. And right now it seems that along with the whole rest of the Roman Empire, he's at the whim and the mercy of Caesar. So we read on, verse 3. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is with child. So all the way from up here to all the way down here, why go to your hometown? Why not be registered where you currently are? Well, people moved around a lot and it was hard to get a handle on people and track people. So the Romans said, go back to your hometown and we'll count you there. So basically, it doesn't matter where you are now, but it does matter where you're from. It said a lot about who you were. So keep that in mind for our hero. It matters where you're from. Nazareth to Bethlehem is about about 120 kilometers if you go direct. So that's roughly about from here to Blanchetown or from here down to Cape Jervis. Um, And it's never been much of a direct route. So you can see there, if you want to go today, that's the way you're going to have to go because in between there is so much politics and awkwardness and danger on that road. And Joseph and Mary have to make this trek. Bethlehem is about 10 kilometers past Jerusalem, say from here to the city away. Um, And Bethlehem's not a big place. Back then, maybe about a thousand people. Just this little insignificant spot on the map. And somehow, somehow, our couple wind up there. Just the way the prophet Micah called it. What are the odds of that? A hero born in Bethlehem and of the line of David. But he's not born yet. See, one of the frustrating things about pregnancy and childbirth, as I have experienced it, is that you have no say in when the baby comes. It's notoriously hard to call the shots on that. Uh, We had our second child arrive three weeks early while we were away on holiday, just in the middle of nowhere in country Victoria, down the end of this dusty road in a thunderstorm, and bam, the baby's coming. That was an exciting night. Um, But likewise, Mary had no choice when this chosen one is going to be born. It's not like she says to Joseph, sweet, we're in Bethlehem now. I'm going to pop out the baby. Um, She couldn't do that. 
And it says this, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth. The time came. She didn't make the time come. The time came. Once again, we see that the hand of God is in all of this. He's the one making all of this happen. Amidst all this chaos of cross-country travel and international politics and overbooked accommodation, he's making it happen exactly as he wanted, exactly as he had said. So the orders come from far off Rome and they're carried out by distant Syria so that at the end of it, this peasant called Joseph is shifted across the countryside for a time. And yet it was all orchestrated perfectly from heaven. You got that? God is in control. It seems like Caesar is running the show, but he's not. God is completely in control. And God gets Mary and Joseph all that way down to Bethlehem and then he sends the contractions. God used it all to fulfill his prophecy. So here I want to give you three things already from Jesus' origin story that we can take away. Three amazingly awesome things. Number one, God is in control. Even when it seems unlikely, even when it seems so chaotic, God is in control. God is in control. Just think about that. Where can you place that truth in your life right now? What things are controlling you and making you feel like everything is chaotic? God is in control, even when it seems like he's not. Number two, God is true to his word. If he says it will happen, it will happen. That's huge. God is true to his word. Place that in your life. Because we have a tendency to, to not take him at his word and forget the promises he promises. God is true to his word. Number three, loud and clear through this whole story. Luke is pointing it out to us. Jesus is no ordinary person. He's not like anyone else. This baby was prophesied from ancient times. That he's born in Bethlehem. He's born of the line of David. He came from a virgin. That's not ordinary. He would be called the son of the most high. He is God. His baby is born, and he's born in the most awkward and embarrassing circumstances. But as you piece it all together, as you follow the trail and you think, what are the, you can see God is in control of all of this. None of this is embarrassing to him. None of this is awkward to him. It's all absolutely deliberate. It's all under his control. But why? Verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. And there we have it. It's the birth of Jesus. And Luke gives us very few details and strange details. But that's it. All there in one verse. When I find out that you know someone in the church or the school community has had a baby and I go home and I talk to Claire about it, I say, hey, they had a baby. She's like straight away she has this list of questions for me. Like, um, how long was it? How heavy was it? 
what color are the eyes, what did they call it, when was it born, how long was the labor, all that kind of stuff. And I'm lucky if I can tell her it was a boy or a girl. <laughs> um, but she's got, like, give me, give me these details. And here's Luke telling us about the most significant birth of all time, and he gives us these random details, and my wife would be very frustrated at him. But these details that he's given us are details that people are going to need, because the shepherds are going to need this very soon, and we need it. See, up until this point, Luke has been making all these allusions to prophecy that this baby, like stuff from the past, that this baby is going to be born in Bethlehem, that this baby is going to come from the line of David, that this baby is going to be born to a virgin. And it's all, it's all from back here, looking backwards. But now, with this information at the manger, Luke is looking forwards. Because in a little while, there are going to be angels filling the sky outside of Bethlehem and speaking to a group of shepherds and telling them this. This will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. It's saying the Savior of the world has come and I want you to go and see him and this is how you're going to know he's the guy. When you get there, you're going to see him wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. The very detail that Luke gives us. This is important for the shepherds because when they go and find that baby like that, they realize that what the angels have said is true. God is true to his word, right? And we see it as well. God is true to his word. And so when they see the baby, no wonder they get excited because there's this baby in a manger, just like those angels out there had told us. This is real, people. And you can imagine why. You can see why they went back praising God and celebrating and giving glory to him, right? It's true. God is true to his word. I remember um, wrapping up our babies when they were kids. Um, to keep them cosy, but mainly to keep them in one place. Um, so Lily, our first child, was an escape artist. So you'd put her in, in her cot and we had like this foam thing that went around her and you're just trying to tuck in the quilt in the right place because you're just worried as a first-time parent that, I don't know, they're going to disappear down the bottom of the bed or escape and go and drink bleach or take off in the car or something like that. And you just... I need you to stay right there right now. So when I found out about this technique of wrapping babies, <coughs> excuse me, I got really excited because you take this big piece of muslin cloth and you lie your child on it and you put one arm out and then you wrap their arm in it and then you just whack it across and just tuck it underneath around there and then the other arm and there and then you get your foot in there and just tuck it right in, get some gaffer tape and... <coughs> And then you gently lay the child in the bed. And then tiptoe back, avoid all the squeaky parts of the floor, and then close the door and walk up the hall. And then you come back an hour later, and she's still right there in that spot, not moving at all. And this sense of achievement and this sense of victory just floods anyone with me on this? Like, yes, I've got you right where I want you. I'm winning right now. You are swaddled. <laughs> the baby was swaddled, wrapped up tightly, 
This is amazing. But Jesus, the one who is before everything, the one who holds the whole universe together by the word of his power, was swaddled, was wrapped up so tightly that he couldn't move. He just slept. Wrapped in cloth, laid down, and motionless. That's stunning, right? This is the miracle of Christmas. It's the truth of the incarnation that God, eternal, became one of us. God with us, God among us, God bound up with us and with our limitations. That's an extraordinary, profound thing. Right? And we see it right there with Jesus wrapped up. Every hero has an origin story. But the thing is, you don't just, you don't just finish with the origin story because the origin story is, is meant to um, tell you why and how the hero originated, but then push you forwards into, well, what were they destined for? What made them such a hero? The origin story is meant to propel you forwards, right? So here we have at the start of the Gospel of Luke, we have Jesus the baby wrapped in cloths laid down in a manger, motionless. Get this. At the other end of the Gospel of Luke, you have Jesus wrapped up in cloth, laid down and motionless in a tomb. Jesus wasn't just born to save the world. Jesus died and buried to save the world. And check this out. So Jesus is there wrapped and lying in the manger. And the angel comes to the shepherds and says, He's here. He's here. This is where you're going to find him. And you'll come and you'll see him and you'll know that this is the truth because he is here wrapped up and lying in a manger, right? And the shepherds go and they see and they say, yes, God is true to his word. And they go and they celebrate. The women come to the tomb on the first day of the week. And there's an angel there. The angel says to them, he's not here. He is not here. He's risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man, that's Jesus, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified. And on the third day, rise. He is not here. It was true what he'd said. The angel said he's not here. You can see it. It's true. That is cause for them to celebrate. And then Jesus explained the reason for all that had happened to him across that way. He said that repentance... And forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. Jesus is no ordinary person. He's the true superhero. Get this, this picture of Jesus bound up and lying in a manger reveals to us his identity as Savior and Lord. Just as the angels had said, this tells us his identity as Savior and Lord. And this image of the tomb, Jesus 
unwrapped, unbound, and gone. It tells us about his power as Savior and Lord. This tells us who he is. This tells us he can do it. And he has done it. And what do we do with that? This is really simple. Don't leave Jesus lying in the manger, wrapped in cloths, bound up, so he's powerless to do anything. That's an easy mistake to make. That Jesus is this cute little baby sent into the world to make it a happy and peaceful place for one day a year. And we rush off into the busyness of Christmas and into the the ease of the holidays and we just sneak off and leave him there. We leave him there. Just imagining he's this powerless little baby that we can walk away from. Don't leave him lying in the manger. But we also don't leave him lying in the tomb. And this is another mistake we make. Bound up and powerless. Because he is not there. But we often, so often live our lives thinking that he is still there. That he didn't really rise from the dead. We live like he doesn't really have the power to help us or to save us. And we just walk away and assume that he is bound up and powerless still. That he's not. Here's the thing. If you, if you leave in your mind, in your heart, if you leave Jesus wrapped up, bound up and powerless, then you are left there wrapped up, bound and powerless. And the Bible talks about sin, which is our, our natural tendency to shamefully offend and disobey God. Sin is something that traps us, that enslaves us, that binds us up. It's a snare of the devil. He's the true villain in this story. It's this snare and a trap that that kills us. And Jesus came to save us from that. He came to save us from sin. And he came to save us from the things that bind us up and leave us powerless and dead and fearful and shameful. He came into this world to be bound up by all that we have done wrong, to be killed and to be buried, dead, motionless. He did it for us. He did that for me. Jesus came wrapped in cloths and laid down so that we could rise up and break free of the shackles of sin and the paralyzing fear of death. Jesus came so that we could live. That is his origin story. And then, when you embrace this hero Jesus as your true hero, as your Savior and your Lord and your King, then God is true to his word. He's true to his word that you are not dead in sin anymore. You're not dictated to by these external forces and regulations and emperors calling the shots. You're not trapped by darker forces, by the evil one. You are free. You are alive. This is good news of great joy, right? So this Christmas, don't leave Jesus wrapped up and lying in the manger because that is just the start. He was laid down, but he was lifted up so we can be too. So what we're going to do, 
We're going to run when we sin. We're going to run with the shepherds, celebrating and praising God that that he has come to be with us. And we're going to run with those women from the tomb and tell everyone everything has changed now. Life has begun right here. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for sending Jesus Christ, your son, born in Bethlehem of David's line of of a virgin at the right time, in the right moment, by your word and your authority to be our saviour, bound up in all our weaknesses, taking it all on himself, dying with it, and then rising again. Heavenly Father, please help us to not leave him there bound up because he's not. Thank you so much. Heavenly Father, fill us with joy knowing that our Saviour and our Lord is risen. He has come among us and he's called us to follow him forever. In Jesus' name, amen.